0: Hi, everyone. My name is Shay. This is the Iterate Podcast, and today we're talking to Danny Lobaton. Uh, Danny's a friend uh, for a while now. Um, Probably one of the smartest people I know. Does a lot with AI. Um, Currently works at Microsoft. He can give an intro. So, I guess, Danny, how are you doing,
1: man? Uh, Thank you, Shay. Thank you for having me. (laughs) All (laughs) right.
0: So, (laughs) I guess what we'll do first is we'll talk about kind of the past where you came from give context as to how you got into tech and everything and then we'll give like you can talk more about what you're doing now so uh yeah how did you get into tech uh you studied computer science at uf like have you always enjoyed computer science just give us some context as to like how you got to where you are
1: yeah so it all more so that started when I was around 11 right or 10 uh exactly when I was living in caracas venezuela and it all started exactly when i watched the first movie of iron man right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really started like that i was like that is so cool that is so sick i love right. it and the thing that like really made me fall in love with iron man wasn't like the billionaire playboy that tony Stark is, or the iron man suit what really like made me go wild was jarvis <laughs> right and yeah. for the people who don't know jarvis is just kind of this uh, smartest voice assistant that tony stark has on the marvel movies that pretty much runs everything that yeah uh, for him so that is sick i want that and then my mission as a 10 year old was like i want to make a jarvis for myself right and it's going to do my homework and it's going to help me like not forget to reply to my texts and it's going to be awesome right so then i go on youtube like youtube was terrible by then and and i looked up how to code right right right? and that's literally what i looked up on youtube and then i realized that most videos teaching you how to code were in english and then i had to learn english and (laughs) then (laughs) right and then actually go through that right so yeah um so that's pretty much been my mission right like since very little i was like i want to make a jarvis and that's how i started getting into tech and that project went on for like eight years right and that that's how i got into coding eventually i started learning about ai at such a young age right. uh, Why i got interested in math because like to actually learn this type of stuff you need to have a very sick understanding of math um and yeah that and that has been like a like a lifelong project like i have felt at jarvis many 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 times um and that is and so ever since that's how I knew I wanted to get into tech, right? And there has been other instances when I think about it. I'm like, so one of the early instances that I thought I was like, oh, like how fun. I thought it was with really like to mess around with computers. And also how like also delving into entrepreneurship. It's back to like when Facebook mini games were were the rage. There was this little there was this little game called like Restaurant City, I think it was called. So I was super dope and then I eventually got so obsessed with it. That I'm like, okay, um. I want all this stuff so i pretty much hacked the game right and i gave (laughs) myself like i gave myself like a gazillion dollars and then all my friends are like oh how do you have so much stuff and how and how 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 do you do that i'm like oh i just like explain like technically what i did like i have no idea what that is can you do it for me so then so my friends will give me their facebook logins like (laughs) hey can you hack it for me and my condition was okay um you have to in your restaurant name, on the game, you have to put Lovaton Inc. at the end.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a. dope. And, right.
1: then, and then at the end of each week, you have to send me like an expensive gift of like that much. And without knowing that I low-key started a franchise. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. That's <laughs> so funny. Wow. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of like how they idea up tech and like everything else. Like, like those early instances where like how I started messing around with tech. And then of course, middle school went on, high school went on all the time, just... Coding, doing random doing random stuff. And until I got to UF and I just picked my computer science major. So that's yeah. kind of my history of how I got into tech.
0: Dope, dude. That's awesome. So I know that while you were at UF, you obviously were involved in a lot. Um, so how did you kind of get involved in the whole like startup space, especially in and around
1: Gainesville? Uh to be honest, I have no clue. I kind of just like stumble up on it. Right. <laughs> um, I think the first one, the I think my first instance of running into like the startup community in Gainesville, or I just found it, I don't know how I ended up at a meeting for the entrepreneurship club, maybe like second week of school mm. or first week of school. And then I met some people, but I were kind of just, but by then, there were not really many people just doing anything, but mostly just curious. Um, and then I'll say, like, my first real introduction to the startup community in Gainesville was when I just saw an email from UF. I don't know what, and someone said it's like, "Hey, weekly coffee chats with this random, with this well-known entrepreneur." Augie Lai. Anyone, <laughs> anyone who wants to meet with him, please just let me know on the schedule sometime. I'm like, oh, I got nothing to lose. So I did it. Uh, so I met this guy, Augie, right? Um, interesting individual. Yes. Say very, the, very. <laughs> very, very interesting individual to say the least. Um, had his, had his hands on, the, on a bunch of different things, uh, in the community. So I met with him and at the moment, uh, he was running the startup called Charlotte AI, which is pretty much uh, artificial intelligence for marketing automation. And his, uh, his engineer had disappeared off of the face of the earth. No one knew really where he was. Like a freak act, like a freak occurrence. Like they didn't have an engineer anymore. They had any other people. And this guy was only there for like, maybe like a week, two weeks before he disappeared. I don't know where he is. And I essentially, and then essentially I, I talked to him for a while. It's like, Hey dude, how about you come on in? It's like, but I'm only oh, a freshman. Right. I'm only a freshman. <laughs> I was like, but you know, a shit ton, I'm like i only know the stuff that i taught myself so <laughs> right. off, i'll hop on totally um
0: uh and so it was, it was literally during your first year when you like started yes. working at
1: charlotte yeah it was my it's literally my first year when i started working wow. at charlotte yeah and it was it was actually pretty funny because also at the same time augie's previous mentor like um called amir Mm, yeah was also trying to give me an offer and i ended up (laughs) i ended up picking Augie. really at where at paracosm yeah paracosm got you wow
0: that's dope so you met augie um who else was at charlotte
1: so at charlotte there was how many of you were was it i think when we had the most people was one two three like Five or six, right. people. Like, well, I'll say, like, like six people, maybe seven. Right.
0: What were you guys working
1: on? Um, pretty much with so Facebook and marketing is kind of like this back home. No one really understands how it works. Right. Um, I think even the uh, even with my friends that it, that are at Facebook, they're like, yeah, dude, that is that is completely different. That's a completely different thing. Right. So apparently, uh, we. Have this guy called Gaba, and Gaba just so happened to be the top 0.001% of all Facebook marketers on the planet. And it's like, hey, how about we take his techniques and set it and set it to learn in an intelligent way, so it can, anyone can just pick up this this intelligent system, plug it into the campaigns, and and improve the results, right? Again, you sure the pitch, is like, hey. We have an AI that's learning from some of the best marketers in the world, plug it in and you're gonna print money. Oh, right, right. Right, right. So <laughs> that's so pretty much what I was doing is um how do I take the thoughts of that guy, right? And made it into like an act into like an actionable intelligent model right. to execute. And plus a bunch of other like mini projects that um that Augie had or like some some other guys in there had i think the biggest lesson that i that i learned from well I learned many lessons but from a technical standpoint is um feature creep it's a really big thing and saying yes to everything that comes your way like to like build is a very big mistake totally i ended up building like helping build stuff that had nothing to do right. with the core totally to the core business because you
0: just start with one thing and then you are like hey can you just add on this one thing we'll just add yeah. on one more right <laughs>
1: Dude, just, so you have an idea, I, it came to a point where I was building, where I built an SDK for a new database management system specialized for machine learning. Like, I ended, when, essentially, we ended up building a database.
0: Right.
1: When we were marketing automation, right? So totally. like, yeah. <laughs> ended up making Chrome plugins, like. It's like, hey, how can we make this smarter? Dude, like the whole, the whole shebang, literally anything that they threw my way, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll make it. It's like, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? <laughs> anything
0: <laughs> So even yeah. though you kind of spent a lot of time working on projects that were seemingly unrelated to what you were intended to be working on, do you think that, like, what concrete things did you kind of learn from doing all of these random projects?
1: Uh number one generalists are highly underrated
0: yes totally
1: generalists are highly underrated um random this, random
0: side note have you read the book range no you should really you, you, i feel like you would really like that book it's about why generalists are so dope and why just a yeah. specialist isn't as dope like, as we
1: think yeah <laughs> hey it's cool it's cool being oh, a for specialist sure. right but like right. It's, <laughs> i'm saying that like, these guys are just very like being and in generalist is highly underrated. Totally. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I think like that like, was the number one lesson, right? I think the generalist is highly underrated. Mm. Um. Then, at least technical wise, some more lessons. Then the other one is an engineer's job is as much to build as to not build. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like that is that
0: is something that's very wise. Totally
1: uh part of part of your job as being a tech guy is because people just assume tech is kind of like this unicorn or kind of like this wishing well that you throw a coin and then like stuff comes out of it Mm. um but being able to have the discretion to also say no to things exactly a big part of it is just how do you bring people back down to earth it's a lot of that Mm. um you to some degree you cannot you have to be a dreamer but also a dream killer right right Um, right and the other one is that I will say it's not so much about tech related, but people will, especially early on when you're young, they will tend to, there are kind of like two ways they're going to go about that. They're going to try to mentor you like instantly, or they're going to try to challenge most of the ideas that you have very quickly. It's very hard to find a middle ground. Right, right. I think, uh, plus all, plus all their startup, uh, lessons, right? Like organization and research are very big in a startup, right? You're going to just build stuff and think it'll work. Totally. Awesome, dude.
0: So it sounds like you kind of got a lot out of that experience at, um, Charlotte, but I know that you also ended up working at Trendy, which turned into Chromatic. How did that happen? And like, do you think that working at like a video game company kind of gave you like a whole different set of um skills than working at
1: charlotte uh yeah i'll say so i think trend well chromatic i'm supposed to call it chromatic now right uh so chromatic was was also came as a came as a shocker um, because essentially augie used to be CEO of chromatic then he left and then he bought Chromatic again. And essentially I became like an we hire of Chromatic. To say the least, it was like it was like a a completely different ball game, right? Simply because the video game industry in terms of technology is, it's kind of like its own separate bubble, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because first of all, um, game developers are insane right like game developers are absolutely insane like so you will find some very, some very smart people in game development but this comes down to the conversation of generalist versus a specialist game uh, the game industry is a high high specialty um industry because if you can be a great and amazing game dev but you will not be able to hop onto anything else right because uh, because you go ahead and you learn what uh, game development, right? Let's say that you, you learn how to develop in games in Unreal Engine, in UE4, but now, in UE4, that like you code in C++. But now, but it's not really C++, right? Now you learn how to code Unreal Engine through C++. You don't learn C++, mm. right? So now all the skills that you know only apply inside, like, like apply mostly to this thing inside of, like, Unreal Engine. So now go ahead, go ahead and tell this, and tell these same people, like uh, these gameplay developers say, hey, um, implement a, a pop sub server. They'll be like, uh exactly, right? But like you tell them it's like, hey, quit. like go ahead and mess around with this physics engine. Yeah, of course, instantly, right? Because they know it's like they learn a real engine. And that, that, mm. and it's an incredibly complex piece of software, right? But then again, you are not learning how to code in C++. You're learning how to code on real, which is completely different. So again, it's highly specialized. Right. So um, what was what
0: was your experience kind of coming from outside the video game industry and then working at
1: um, what was Trendy, which is now Chromatic? Right. So I, so I, was, I would say to some degree I, I was lucky because I didn't end up exactly developing games. I was a build engineer, mm. meaning, that what, meaning that what I did, like my job is like, how do you develop the systems? Pretty much... So something essentially it is DevOps, but for video games, right? Right. It's like how do you take all, how do you take all of this like um, continuous integration, continuous delivery, and then deliver it to like all these to all these different platforms like Xbox, PS, PlayStation, PC, and make sure the builds are okay, test, pass like merging, uh, going ahead and managing engine builds, right? Stuff like that. Technically, that that applies to a lot of things. So, for what what I learned from that is that um, from a technical standpoint, again, you'll it will, it will come back to the debate of specialist versus, versus generalist. Um, also, DevOps, it's okay, not, not to throw shit at anyone in DevOps, what a stupid boring. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Dude, because you kind of just look at everyone's list code and you're like, all right, how, how do I make your stuff go through and like, actually deliver it to a customer? Yeah. Actually, to an end user, right? And it's like, ah, you're, you're the delivery man. Mm-hmm. essentially right mm-hmm. and you make sure that every and you're the delivery man and also to some degree quality control mm-hmm. uh, but also like it's like hey this is like the importance of DevOps right without DevOps most I'll say like the whole workflow yourself. like if my systems went down like the whole the whole studio like will not be able to do anything
0: right um does that also create a large level of like stress or pressure because you know yeah. that what you're doing is kind of in some sense, the point of failure for everything else?
1: Um, I wouldn't say so because that applies to like literally anything. Like when I was in right. Tesla, I I had to like rush down on a Sunday to the factory or else the production of the Model 3 was gonna shut down. <laughs> right, and it, they relied on an intern to like help with that. Right, right. Okay, uh, speaking, of, speaking of that,
0: um, you've had a lot of internship experiences and now you're working at Microsoft. Can you talk about like, you know, your experience of going to intern at all the companies you have? Cause I think you've been at Microsoft, Tesla. I'm missing some.
1: Uh, that's, I that's who I interned with. I have consulted with another one.
0: Oh, all right. Got you. Okay. So like, what was your experience like working at those like big names?
1: Uh, so first of all things, comp- the loss of everything like the notion of everything changes when you operate at such a big scale. For example, is um, there's some stuff that you can get away with. Let's say in Charlotte, which is a six or seven person company, and or a chromatic, which is a fifty or sixty percent midsize company, right? It's a pretty decent size with couple with a decent revenue, right? A couple million dollars in revenue. That just does not fly in a, something as big as Microsoft, right? Like scale changes everything. Right. So, for example, like a system that I would have implemented let's say in to just process some data to just process some stuff in chromatic will not apply to Microsoft why well imagine that in chromatic let's say I had to process game data for all of our users right all of our all of our users and let's say our, we have I don't know at any given time 60 to 90 thousand players say a hundred thousand players at any time it's like, okay, how much data is that per second? I'm like, bro, like maybe five gigs, eight gigs a second, yeah. maybe 12. I and that seems like a lot, right? And then you hop over to Microsoft and then you have to develop systems that process a 100 terabytes of data <laughs> per hour, right? <laughs> so like, right. So it's like it does not compare. Yeah. Right, it's orders of magnitude bigger. Totally. Like yeah. there's not a man of, like, you can go ahead and, like, in Chromatic, you can fill 12 gigs of data in, on, in memory. Tell me what system has 600 freaking, like, 100 terabytes of memory. Mm. Right? <laughs> it's like right, complete... right, right. That makes um, sense. First, so I said that that's one lesson is uh, operating in scale changes, like, the quality of your engineering, like, how you think. Mm. Um, and it also, it also makes you look back. Uh, because I because I went from small size company in Charlotte to mid size in Chromatic to huge Tesla to huge size in Tesla and Microsoft and Google uh, and when you and when you don't go through that transition you go to, you go to the big names and then you look and then you look back to where you were and say the stuff that they're doing right now will not scale.
0: Mm, right. It kind of gives like, you a better perspective.
1: Right, exactly. Like the, simply the, the, stuff that they're doing exactly at this moment, it simply would not scale. The, yeah. let's say their software delivery systems, their current their current analytics, how they're currently handling loads, and even the software development processes, right? Or like how they con- or the, how they could, or how they try to measure user feedback. Like you say, it's like yeah, if the, right now that let, let's say your engineering team is thirty people. When once you make it one hundred and fifty, nothing will work anymore. Right. And they're going to go through some serious growing pains. Uh, but then you can also say the same. Of, uh, say the same in uh, big names. In big names, I say the the biggest takeaway that they can take from uh, from smaller companies is how quickly you move. Right. Yeah. Because totally. right, it is right, right. it is hard to steer a cruise ship. Now try to steer a jet ski, right? It's complete. It's kind of like the same thing, right? And the main and the reason why these companies steer so slow is simply because um, they kind of bloat in some places, right? If you if you come from a startup, then you see like there's a lot of path to be trimmed in these companies. Um, yeah, mostly or mostly organizational wise, Got but you. and their tech when it, when it comes to their tech. There are some things that are some iron tight, and there's there the processes, the tech is it's built to such a degree that it seems like you can throw a nuclear bomb at it and it will be okay. <laughs> right, and it'll be fine, totally. And it, and you'll be fine because they think about absolutely so many scenarios, mm. right? And simply because of it again scale. Let's say that just to give you a perspective of how much scale matters. If, if you have a video game with a hundred thousand users, um, then, and let's say that, that out of a hundred thousand users, like 0.001% of them, right. Are experiencing game breaking issues. That's only hundred people, right? right. That's, that's a hundred people for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Not that's, it's not much. Now, what if you have a like one billion (laughs) clients, like like literally like one billion devices, right? Zero point zero one, zero point zero zero one percent of those. Still a huge
0: amount of people.
1: Yeah, it's it's a huge amount of people on services that will be very pissed at you if like it goes down. So the tolerances are very tight. Uh, The other ones in some, in most companies, I won't say any names. People think they get their. They got their stuff really together. But in reality, many of their things are things with a very pretty front end and and a back end that is just taped together with glue sticks and paper (laughs) paper machine, (laughs) right? Right, right. It's like, I have no idea how this is working. Mm, Totally. Um, Which at the end of the day tells you that people, even up to this day with how far we come, we really don't know how to tackle certain problems because tech is just going at such an insane pace. (laughs)
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's super interesting, dude. Okay. So, um, you had all these experiences and internships that were, that were pretty, you know, like impactful. So I know that you also did a lot in terms of trying to start your own thing while Mm -hmm. you're in school. And I'm sure even now, um, Mm -hmm. how did you come up, come up with the ideas, I guess, that you eventually started working on and what was the process like of instead of working it you know like under the umbrella of someone else's idea
1: working on an idea of your own right um so it, essentially what essentially what happened is that whenever you you move through all of this you have your own ideas, but not all of them will come to fruition simply because you have to take into account other people and other things that already exist. Uh, but when you start from scratch, there's nothing currently standing that gets in your way, and it's pretty much a free playground to do whatever you want and uh, and what your vision of what the future can possibly look like. Um, so it all started essentially with uh, this idea of. Again, one thing that really that really amazes me is like data, like how it changes. It, uh, I'll say data is to some data is, there is parallel to physics, right? The laws of physics change depending to scale. You have, um, let's say, you have astrophysics, right? The laws pretty much of the stars and like how magnetism affects them and gravity and so on. Uh, then you can think of your regular um, of your regular like college or high school physics like oh like the like what is the formula for velocity or that force equals n times a right and then you have the then you have the laws of electromagnetism right which are completely different and like find themselves by a completely different set of rules and then you have uh, they think at the ultra-small scale, the loss of uh, quantum loss or string theory, data is kind of similar. Uh, the loss of what you can do and not do with data changes dramatically, simply because of, again, scale. A lot of tech really just goes back to the concept of scale. Uh, and then my idea was like, well, a, a big problem that people have is a lot of, you have a lot of duplicate work and like people kind of like storing data all over and like they have no idea how to manage it, massage it and to some degree, how to how to find it and retrieve it. If people don't really know how to do that, right? Um, there have been many batch work solutions and even have many hybrid systems. I'm like, well, what about if I create kind of um, this concept where anyone can um, kind of like this library, right? where you can just put in any type of information that you want. Retrieve it in a library. You can just look up, look up what you been wanting. wanted. Doesn't matter if it's a book, uh, a newspaper. It can be a video or a DVD, a song, even some people that are in the library. Right? You can just go there for information, and you will eventually and you will find it. And, and you can show kind of like how it was in the in like the great library of Alexandria, right? Like back a couple back centuries ago. I'm like, oh, how about I create my own. Alexandria, right? Like, but in the 21st century, pretty much I take that concept and I put it on steroids. Uh, pretty much is, pretty much this massive data store like that can go ahead and find patterns in and data and like and help you like answer and answer your data driven questions and insights. And pretty much I went ahead and did that. Uh, because again, if you can solve, if you can solve I mean, these challenges of data, then you superpower many other applications like uh, like you make making business decisions easier. You make the training new intelligence models easier, right? You cannot. Doesn't matter how good your AI is if you don't have the correct data for it. You pretty much uh, building a boat without a sea. Um, for even for pattern analysis, right? The same cancer research, literally, and like this. That's how critical this problem is. So I so I went ahead and did it. And it was like a total order, and I went ahead and did it. And and to some de- some degree, like I was actually painting through it and working. And but well, then I realized, like, hey, I have to narrow down unless, um, in something more specific. And eventually, I have some. I had some friends at the time that had their hands in government contracting. It's like I talked to them for a while. I'm like, hey, you know, uh, one of their biggest pain points is, oh yeah, we can We don't know what contracts to bid on uh, and like how to prepare, how to prepare for it and how to win this, because it takes a lot of time to prepare like, Oh, okay. That's interesting. And, and then right after, like uh, sometime after that, I called and I called a friend and actually, a an investor that was involved in some, that was involved in, um, in Charlotte, right. Not even an investor, he was more of a part, more of a someone who just brought up some clients. And he just happened to be this big time investor, right? Based out of Florida, like managing the money of some of the richest people in the US. And, and he also happened to be big. He used to be the CEO of a hospital. He also owns a percentage in a company that makes parts for the F-35 fighter jet. Crazy stuff like that, right? So I talked to him, I was like, hey man, I have the uh and I tell him like my perception of the problem is like, yeah, it's super hard to like actually find these contracts. Right. Like, okay, how about if I have an idea, right? To like actually go ahead and all this data is public, right? Of contracts. What if I go ahead and I run them through, um, my, through my concept of this library of Alexandria, right? And then I run us the data about the specific vendor, this contractor and then i find the contracts that are best suited for you and i help you first cut down on time and maximize your revenues like that will be awesome and like he like dropped a check on me at the moment wild uh yeah this guy also by the way <laughs> like this this like i'm super grateful to this guy um also like middle, middle of the pandemic i made a i made a small, tra- a small a small trading bot a small trading ai and i was Doing very good compared to the S M P. And I told him one day, and the guy just gave me twenty thousand dollars one day. It's he like, hey, try it out with twenty thousand dollars. Jeez. Like literally, like I call him, and then five minutes later, he had wired the twenty <laughs> <he just> <laughs> thousand dollars to crazy. run on, to run on my like piece of software that I hacked. Right, like, right. Hacked together, like on the agents. That's dope. Wild. So stuff. I went. So I went ahead and and did that. And I think the first the cool the coolest thing about it is. Once you, once you see the, the patterns and the mistakes of, um, of companies at all levels, then, um, then you can pick and choose what you like the most. I think what you technically, what you can learn the most is from very, from very small companies is how how do you build stuff from scratch right that that is some that is a, a skill in and of itself how do you build something how do you take something from the ground up totally. as quick as possible um from i'll say mid-sized companies is how do you stay very close? i say like mid-sized companies are the ones who are the most closely in touch with their customers the ones who would like hear them out the most and like care and like are the closest to their community because they have uh, tend to have a a, a big enough uh, set of users to like where there's obviously people that really care about this, but also it's not big enough to where it's hard to like keep track of like what these people say. It's like, of course, like you actually learn what, what people want and then how to deliver right. than that one, like how to measure that. And they don't, and there's some stuff that you can just not measure through Specific KPIs and OKRs. There's some stuff I just hear from people. Like you just measure through like the feeling of like people are giving you through their community. So I think that's mm. so that's the biggest lesson to learn uh, from there when building a product. And then when and from the big companies, they have the best tech, hands down. Right. Like you, you just cannot compare. Totally. Uh, people will tell you it's like no, but this but these company or this company is like no, that that's absolute horse <laughs> crap. It that. Right. Yeah, they, they might have some good stuff, but it does not yeah. compare to like the tooling that, let's like, say, Google, Microsoft, or Tesla has. It right, just does right. not. Totally. So from them, you learn it's like, okay, what is the best? What are the best technologies? And like, how do I how do I use the best technologies? Are the best techniques like the best practices? The how how do these companies achieve these crazy things technologically? Right. Um, I'll say that's where you gain a lot of hard skills. Um, for how, how to deal with, how to, how to gain this very specific insights, right? Like, like in Microsoft was what I learned where a one-to-one, a ResNet one-to-one, which essentially a, a re- stands for a resolution network, like with 121 neurons, right? For processing data image. And that's what I use in Microsoft for, to power some of their shopping stuff, to like actually recommend you what to buy. So like you know, stuff like that, you just don't pick up out of you just don't pick up in a startup. Totally. That makes sense. Um so then you go ahead and you take kind of like all these things together. It's like, okay, how do I go ahead and like smash this all in and then deliver it? And Mm. that's essentially what and that's essentially what I did. Awesome.
0: That's dope, dude. Um, I have two more questions for you. Um I think that the first thing, I guess while we're on kind of the topic of like tech and stuff what are your opinions on where the web is going because i'm sure that's you know being someone in tech and kind of being in like that sphere of influence you probably have a lot of opinions um relating to like the web and you know all the stuff that's happening right now like blockchain and all these new technologies that are coming out um what are some of your opinions on like where tech is going
1: okay okay so more specifically with the web or tech in general? Let's say web, the web, yeah, the web. Okay, so I'll say that, so essentially the, the web, the, you can trace back the history of the internet to like three stages, right? You have web one, mm-hmm. which is essentially like 90s, right. and, and mid 2000s, like late, late 2000s, right. uh, around that. Yeah, around that. Uh, that is pretty much static websites, uh, very, uh, very um, crude stuff, right? The beginnings of the internet, mm-hmm. and it was very much characterized by random, by a, by a very dispersed, uh, net, a very dispersed network of resources that is hard to reach and use, uh, but with a lot of novelty. Right. Um. The, then. I think that was the biggest, I, I say, idea stage of the internet. Then you have Web2, which is pretty much, I'll say, the centralization of all of these resources and ideas, pretty much mostly by big-name companies like Google or Facebook. Pretty much Google essentially monopolized search, right? Uh, and Facebook monopolized social media. And so I'll say Web2, which is currently where we're at, is owned by big names right Let's just think about it aws like if part of aws goes down out of the sudden your freaking doorbell starts working <laughs> right um but then i think the logical the logical next step is web3 the decentralization of it Where now um where now you have now it's not the companies that are in control are the users right the decentralization now the power is going from let's say from google to you right you is i'll say more democratic um so i think and that is pretty much the concept of of a decentralized internet pretty much that no one person or no one entity has an excruciating amount of power over the internet which seems very ideal like seems very realistic uh there are, there are some very valid concerns right it's like hey what then just impers- doesn't prevent these companies from just taking a bunch of the a bunch of these new decentralized networks like yeah that's a valid concern um and these are these are leading to people to making some some making some pretty cool stuff mm-hmm. and because now what you're having with web three i will say number one thing is increased visibility and trust because now you're not placing your trust in let's say google or you're not providing your trust in let's say a banking system or providing your trust on i don't know amazon to give you stuff right now you don't now you don't just trust amazon to give you like that to give your product and the whole and trust the whole supply chain to like that it's actually going to rely to you on like the stuff that you're getting is actually what they say it is, right? You can just trust Amazon because they're reputable, right? With say Wells Fargo, right? You have the whole uh, uh, financial infrastructure going behind it. It's like great, but you kind of like trust in point central entity. Well, now you kind of flip that, that around, right? Like now it's not like you trust someone; you don't trust anyone. And they're not and it's paradoxical, right? They're not trusting everyone, you can you can now trust everyone. Right, right. because it's in with web three is the fact that anyone can look at each other so pretty much it's like to some degree the lack of trust because like there's so much visibility that can just keep on check everyone that kind of like gives you that reassurance that yeah it's fine because everyone's checking each other so so then that that provides avenues for some very cool applications like one of them being supply chain like the supply chain imagine being able to like actually know where your where your breakfast is coming from right or let's say for the people who actually care like imagine like how much can you how much do you currently trust when you go to the supermarket that when they give you the say it's actually organic right yeah now imagine that it's something that is like completely transparent right you kind of trust walmart that it, that the apple that you're buying is actually organic um and the entities behind that certification now, like you don't have to trust that because everyone just keeps it in check, right? Or kind of this, or the supply chain for a car. And again, financial system, right? The most brilliant example everyone knows, Bitcoin. Like, yeah, sure, ah, sure. Like we, we could go on a whole last discussion about <laughs> right about Bitcoin, right? Economically, totally. But the but the ideas behind, uh, mm. like, if you if you ask me, what? web 3 is, is really about web 3 is not about cryptocurrency first of all let's put that out there mm. whoever thinks that the uh, the applicate that what the block that the blockchain means is cryptocurrencies so we're going to get rid of all paper models, It's like first of all like i think you're that makes no sense like just look at china they already made a cryptocurrency so they're making it their thing right um it is an application of a blockchain it's an application of web 3 Three, that doesn't mean that's where it ends. Uh, but when you give a, but now when you give, now the thing with the web three, now this is where I'm gonna rant a little, oh, is gosh. that, and, and this is kind of, it's also the same thing with AI and machine learning, right? Each time throughout history, when you give someone something very cool and you that's some very cool stuff, suddenly, and this is an analogy I keep coming back to, suddenly it's like, if you, give, if you gave someone a hammer, And now every single problem looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. So in the context of AI, um, then you have neural networks, which are incredibly powerful, right? According by the universal approximation theorem, if you have a neural network with with enough neurons, you can approximate any function in the universe, which in layman's terms means that if you have an AI big enough, you can have an AI that can predict anything. That can determine anything uh in very simple terms again now, again the keyword here is a big enough and now you have again web3 which is blockchain essentially the blockchain and that's how people are going off like doing some very some things that make absolutely no sense like for example a jpeg was sold for 18 million dollars like what <laughs> is that right Right? Like, I think that we, I think the idea of NFTs is great, but like, the idea of NFTs as art, it's like, man, like, of course, there's for sure money to be made there. Like, that that doesn't prevent me, just because I don't think it has any, NFTs as art have any real usefulness, doesn't mean that I cannot make money out of it. (laughs) Um, But, for example, in in NFTs, right, they go, someone went ahead and created this concept of NFTs which works for certain cases and like great, great, and has some very cool applications. But then again, back to the concept of the hammer and the nail, do you have people using the concept of NFTs for things that I make absolutely no sense? And like, like, like selling a tweet. Right, yeah. Like you are like selling a tweet, like you go ahead and you mint an NFT from a tweet and then someone buys it for thousands of dollars. Like, <laughs> the the, appi- the applications of that are are none. Right, right. Or, right, or right. someone goes or someone goes ahead and makes a, and makes a digital piece of art. Um, of course, exceptions are here, and then which is literally like say like a smiley face. And then it sells also for thousands of dollars, right? When there's some other people like digital artists creating legit art and mm-hmm. that they sell NFTs and they be only meant to keep it as an NFTs. So and it's like, okay, great, but be, it's solutionism at its fine at, at its worst right yeah. it's solutionism at its worst so people so now my. so my current thing with web3 is that people are 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 being solutionists at its worst they're simply just trying to solve problems that do not need solving mm-hmm. and that i see that's like the current that's the current state of, that is the current state of the internet they it's this very, this very cool technology called Web three, and whenever for people out there, whenever you hear Web three, you just think of blockchain. That's the simplest thing to think of, um, which has applications that can absolutely change your life, or like at least the life of your kids. Yeah. But then we'll then will come some people and say, and I, say, I call this the engineers curse. They will tr- they will take a technology and try to solve a problem with it just for the sake of using that technology. Mm, right? Not the, not the other way around. You pick, you, normal thinking says you should find a problem and then find the best tool for it. Right. Then the engineer's curse is that you found this really cool tool that you just want and that you, you just want, want to use you just, it. Like, you just want to use it. Like I'm being guilty of it. <laughs> right? right? Totally. Like, I'm not gonna lie. like everyone has been guilty of it. Oh yeah, for sure. And you just want to solve a problem with it. But, that, but it simply makes no sense like doing that. Right. And I think that is, like, I think that's the current state of Web3. you. Nice,
0: dude. That makes sense. Totally. I think that's like some pretty insightful stuff. Um, got one more. The last hey. thing that I'm wondering is, so we kind of talked about where you think the web is going. Where are you going? I know you're, you know, you have a lot of ideas and a lot of stuff you're working on, but what do you see as being your trajectory where you are?
1: Ooh, uh, what scope like five Um, years from now 50 years from now two months from now
0: let's say let's say five years from now
1: five years from now um okay i'm gonna lie it's probably the hardest question yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah because i think that the biggest thing that i have learned is whatever you thought you were gonna be that's probably not gonna be oh totally yeah (laughs) right there is you have like
0: me like i think that if i wanted some of the stuff that i wanted even a year ago i'd be like well, why, would, why would i want that like you changed so much but sure. from where you are right now what are some of your goals what are some things you're trying to do what are some of your ambitions like
1: say my simplest ambition i guess in the context of this conversation is i i want to kind of develop this group of people that i can just build cool stuff with mm-hmm. and i think i i think i've been getting there Honestly, it just simply by pure coincidence. Um, my best friend also just so happens to be the, my absolute favorite person to work with. And we have complementary skill sets. Um, so I think I want to keep on building with that. Um, I want to keep on building on that concept. Um, five, year from, five years from now, I think that a lot of companies are doing something very wrong. And, and that is that simply they and, and I think this is what mostly applies to super big companies. Is they are they are not they're looking at the world through a distorted lens. And what and what is this lens? This lens is they look at this world purely through, of course, the numbers, like yeah, but you can you can shift these numbers around honestly through almost any scale that you want to. Like, you, numbers can is numbers can also be as much of a perspective. If you say you if you're looking at a distribution, you can only look at the top 50th percentile and then but then you can look up to a very long tail and then the perspective of changes. Um, say five years from now I I want I want to change the way that the biggest data consumers in the world can't really handle, uh, and and ingester data to like actually come to decisions to that imp- uh, that impact the products that directly impact the people behind the products. Uh, then, secondly, I think following that concept is uh, five years from now. Five to 10 years from now, five years from now, I want to be able to give the same tools, the same possibilities that big name brands such as Netflix or Apple or Facebook have to create some of the intelligence systems that they have simply because of the sheer amount of data that they have to a random college kid on their dorm in the first semester. Mm -hmm. I want to give that ability to that guy the same ability that Apple has to put three terabytes of data on how people on how on what type of apps people want, I want to give that same. I want to be able to give that same type of not, that same type of ability to the college room kid that has to count pennies hmm. to uh, to his his next grocery run, right. uh, and not and allow him to do that by not needing the same team of 200 300 engineers that apple has but it's but it's still but i'm still empowering him to do that again by by building on the concept of um alexander like this mass this ultra massive universal data store right um which i think is honestly one of the funnest problems uh yes the the problem the next Microsoft, the next Apple, is, is going to be a data company. Um, it just takes one, takes one breakthrough innovation in, in that space, to just come to completely blow everyone else out of the water. Right. Um. So. Yeah, I want to oh. do that. Nice, dude. Uh, That's a good answer. <laughs>
0: well that's pretty much all i got i really appreciate you taking time out of your night i know it's well it's late for me it's probably not too late in,
1: yeah it's uh, okay Seattle.
0: got you dope dude yeah. well i appreciate it bro it's always a pleasure talking
1: oh man yeah it was awesome seeing you man man text me more often
0: I sure. thank you for checking out that episode of the iterate podcast we appreciate you listening um you can find us on youtube at the iterate podcast um you can find me on twitter at wideboy underscore that's w-a-d-b-o-y underscore on instagram at wideboy that's w-a-d-b-o-y and i hope you guys tune in for more episodes appreciate it